The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 284 we're going to talk about some new uh, metrics that could help you with your fantasy baseball teams and just some other fun baseball banter between the Statcast metrics and some other cool stuff uh you can find me on twitter at pediatric give a rating review on the podcast we'd much appreciate it but my co-hosts are my guest on this show you can find them on twitter at max sports studio max goldstein how are we doing Good. I'm um, really happy that I have the opportunity to be on. Thanks for having me. No problem. Looking forward to uh, to chatting a bit. It's been fun watching you on, on Twitter, all the different stats you put out there, all the things you got going on. Uh, before we get started, why don't you let everybody know kind of what you, uh, you know, you got your website and what kind of things you're working on. Yeah, so I I am the CEO of Max's Sporting Studio. It's a an analytically oriented baseball site with about 25 other writers who have similar passions to mine and yours. And they love baseball and looking at stats. And personally, I've enjoyed trying to create different stats to allow me to better predict like players that could potentially break out. And it just allow it's fun to do. Yeah, no, it definitely is, and uh, I enjoy feed because I, I'm kind of a – I watch the game, and that's kind of how I make my decisions, but I've been learning year by year to embrace more and more of the advanced metrics, and I really do enjoy them. And I'm, I'm having fun. Like baseball savant, it's like a second home to me after fan graphs, so I, I enjoy it quite a bit, but uh, I like seeing people that make new metrics. But before we get into your new metrics that are very intriguing to me, um, just for fun to get to know Max a little bit um, – you you tweet out a lot of different stats for different generations and whatnot. Just 
what uh where do you get the ideas from this what uh where do you go because i know it's like a rabbit hole a fun rabbit hole like where yeah. do you should i guess to do these different ones um i think sometimes it just kind of i'm i just wonder and it's like well what what was the most innings pitched by a pitcher that didn't give up a run in a single season other times it'll be more like I'm trying to find something to tweet out if I haven't tweeted in a while. But usually the best things are ones that you come across naturally. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's fun because usually it turns into a few different threads, like since 1980, such and such, and you have a few different scenarios to them. So it's fun because that's more just being a a baseball fan and and checking out some cool things that way. And I think it's a lot of fun there. So uh, let's get into it. You said you're working on a new uh, walk percentage predictor. Why don't you kind of let everybody know what that all entails? Yeah, so the name of the metric that I've created, I call it predictive unintentional walk percentage plus. And that sounds complicated, but it's really, it's much simpler than the name. And it's unintentional, like I have the unintentional part because I remove intentional walks because intentional walks are not it's not the pitcher saying I want to intentionally walk this guy it's the manager so if you want to know guys who have the best control meaning they walk the least percentage of batters then you want to remove intentional walks and I call it predictive because while you can look at a player's my stat versus their walk percentage you can potentially say that 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 pitcher got unlucky or lucky I maximize the stats ability to predict future performance. Okay. So um, is this uh, metric uh, available to, to dig into, or are you still working on a few things with that? Um, I've pretty much finalized it. I'm planning to hopefully write an article on it soon and release the data. And if anyone wants the spreadsheet, they can always reach out. So, I mean, it's pretty much finalize i'm happy with how it is in this current form uh what kind of uh i guess were there any surprise names or anybody that that stood out to you looking at maybe predicting their 2020 walk percentages um so i guess some guys that potentially could record a lower walk percentage in 2019 and i'm not in 2020 if they have a season and i'm not saying that they're going to record a low walk percentage. It's just based on what they did in 2019, you'd expect a lower one the following season. And that includes Jurius Familia on the Mets, who had a nightmare year. He has a 32-point difference between his predictive unintentional walk percentage plus versus his unintentional walk percentage plus. One was 170 and the other was 138. So that was that's the number one guy, and then some other guys that that could potentially record lower walk rates next season include Derek Holland, Brandon Workman, Joe Jimenez, Aaron Nola, and Zach Gallen and Blake Trainin. There's some big names for the fantasy world out there, and there you got Nola um, Trainin, who I, I know many of us have looked at, and just his command was just an absolute mess last year. The stuff was still pretty good. So I guess that kind of translates to your your predictive walk percentage there. Um, what if you can give a little bit of the secret sauce? I'm not saying tell us everything you did, but uh, what kind of metrics, I guess, or what were you using to kind of 
accumulate this stat besides just, you know, walk percentage. Obviously, there has to be something about, you know, I'm not going to say lucky and unlucky, but in a way it's showing some guys were kind of unlucky last year or underperformed last year. What kind of um, other, like, what did you kind of put together to make this metric? Yeah, so the variables, there's only, there's five variables and that are used. So it's strike percentage, so overall percentage of pitches that are strikes. So that includes balls that are put into play, foul balls, swinging strikes, etc. And also the percentage of strikes that are foul balls. And then the percentage of pitches that are thrown in 3-1 and 3-2 counts that result in swings, meaning if a guy is a very high percentage, you'd expect him to record a lower walk rate because if they're swinging in those counts, either the plate appearance, if a swing in a 3-0 count extends the plate appearance. And then the other two ones are percent of pitches that are swung at when the hitter is behind the count. And then the final one is, it's all, you can find it on fan graphs, O contact percentage, which is the percent of pitches swung at outside of the zone that are made contact with. Those are the five. No, I got you. That's that's a really interesting way to look at it. I like the idea of, you know, were they getting swings and misses or swings, I guess, on certain counts that might lead more towards walks and whatnot. So that that's a good way to kind of look at their ability to still probably make quality pitches and just it didn't work out one way or another. So I'm curious to see how that comes out because, like I said, there's some interesting names that finished near the top there, and we could probably glean some information on just to add as another tool in the tool shed kind of evaluating talent, which is always a fun thing to do with these new metrics that are being released. Um, let's take a look at this other, your other metric here that I'm really, really intrigued by because we, we've seen DRC Plus for quite some time now, and you made PDRC Plus. So let's start out with the, the basics here. Can you give everybody like a, a rough idea of what baseball prospectus DRC Plus was for those that might not know? Yeah, so DRC plus, which stands for Deserve Runs Created Plus, it's very similar to Weighted Runs Created Plus, which can be found on Fangraphs, and OPS plus, which is just Park and League Adjusted OPS, which can be found on Baseball Reference. The only difference is that Baseball Prospectus does it based on expected performance versus actual performance, so it uses like based on exit velocity and all like launch angle and all that stuff, the stadium and the temperature, it looks at like probabilities of each thing. So probability of a home run instead of like WRC plus and OPS plus they both, if it's a home run, it's automatically going to go up. So DRC plus is shown to be more consistent from year to year because it's expected rather than actual performance. Okay, that makes a ton of sense uh, to give the overall picture there for DRC+. Plus. Now, what uh, what differs in your metric PDRC+. Plus? Yeah, so PDRC+, plus, it doesn't break it down by like individual batted ball events. I don't I don't have the coding capabilities and the scripting capabilities. In fact, I have no coding or scripting. I just <laughs> I import the data and then work with it. So the Similar to like when I did for the un, you know, unintentional walk rate plus, I'll just share the variables that are considered in this current form. It's I'm going to look to make revisions as I see fit, but I'm happy with it right now. So hit percentage, like 
well, hit by pitch percentage, I should say. That's one thing. Walk percentage, strikeout percentage, percentage of plate appearances that end in barrels, which those are right at ball events that are hit at least 95 miles per hour. And then depending on how fast it's hit, it has to be within a certain launch angle range. And then percentage of batted ball events that result in ground balls and pop-ups that are hit and an exit velocity of less than 90 miles per hour. So basically balls that have a very small chance of going for hits and they're hit weekly, which that's not a good thing if you're a hitter and they're never going to result in a home run, a pop-up or a ground ball. And then two more things, average exit velocity and sprint speed. I like how you added some of the, uh, the the variables in here because they wouldn't have stood out to me at first. And continuing to read the article, it's really, really intriguing. Can you explain to the listeners why you chose percentage of batted ball events that are ground balls or pop-ups that leave the players bat an EV of less than 90 miles per hour? Because it makes a lot of sense once it's discussed. But at first glance, people might say, oh, what's the big deal? But can you explain why you used it? Because it, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, so this is where my metric kind of separate is different from the other plus metrics that evaluate offensive ability in the sense that a ground ball that could be hit at like 89 miles per hour or obviously less than 90, those technically have a reasonable chance, not a great chance, but they could go for singles. But my metric does not it does not like those hits because in terms of like raw hitter ability, that doesn't really say much about a hitter necessarily because hitting the ball super hard, like a 100-mile-per-hour pop-up, like Joey Gallo had a bunch of those last year, even though that has a smaller chance of going for a hit, it may have almost the same as one that's less than 90. Hitting the ball hard is a very important skill for a hitter, it stays pretty stable from year to year. So if, when you want to predict future performance, a 110-mile-per-hour grounder or pop-up, if the hitter is able to hit that ball at the right launch angle moving forward, they could see a lot more success. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense when, when you say it that way. Because I was wondering at first when I was going through this, like why, why is that the number? And then I agree. We want guys to hit the ball hard, even if they hit into outs. You know, I, I've seen the videos and, and the clips from your stuff and others. You know, the guy, you know, say it's a 110-mile-an-hour line drive to third base and it's right at him and catches it. Should he really be penalized for that? Because if it's like maybe six inches to a foot either direction, that's probably going for extra base hits. It just wasn't. And the one metrics will penalize him for that where yours gives him the, not say benefit of the doubt's the wrong word, but at least factors in that he hit the ball really, really hard. And like percentage chances of a hit were very high. He just got the very short end of the stick on that one. And then, like, guys that get bloopers and whatnot can be a, a little bit different. Now, just out of curiosity, because we're going to go down a rabbit hole here, when we look at, you know, baseball savant, like the ideal contacts, you have the the, uh, the, bear, the hard hit rates, the line drive rates, and then there's, like, the flare burner rates. Now, where would flare burners, wouldn't those kind of be, I'm not going to say, would they be penalized in your – um, your new metric, or because in flare burners, it, people like use it as ideal contact because it helps batting average in the long run. But how does it kind of play into the idea of your your metric? Yeah, so flares burners, I 
I've tried so many times to get good definitions of that. Barrel is obviously readily available, but so flares, burners, I looked into, like when I first created this metric, I had a bunch of different stats that I tried to see if experimented with and flare burner percentage was one of them. I'm pretty sure for what I know, like flare burners are like, a, like a burner could be like a hard hit ground ball. I'm not a hundred percent on that. So I don't think that my metric penalizes them too much, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on that. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, You have sprint speed in here. And uh, again, this was one where I first looked at it going, okay, you don't see sprint speed on a lot of, you know, hitting metrics for the most part. But again, once it's, you read your article, which makes a ton of sense. And uh, that's one thing I want to clarify for people. I say it a lot when I, I talk about new metrics. If I can read an article and figure it out, then it's written very well because I'm not smart with a lot of these things. So um, can you explain to the listeners how you use sprint speed to evaluate it? Because, again, it makes a ton of sense when you really break it down. Yeah, so sprint speed, I'd say like two or three. There's a few reasons why I'd include it. One, if a guy has if, – if there's, let's just say, two hitters that are the same – when they actually hit the ball, they hit it the same way – if a guy is faster, like even like strictly probability wise, he has a higher chance of potentially going to second. So a double is more valuable than a single. So that's one thing. Another, and then there's actually two more. Another one would be like if there's a ball that's hit on the ground, a guy like Billy Hamilton has a much higher chance of being it out than say JD Martinez. So that's one. And then the final thing is. My metric, I didn't want to include age because if you want to say who is the, who like really, if you want to like strictly judge based on like hitting from that season, age shouldn't matter. Sprint speed, I think indirectly accounts for aging because guys that are really slow, like let's just say Nelson Cruz, his sprint speed was like one and a half standard deviations below average last year. So I think indirectly that that is penalizing him, even though he hit the ball hard, that could like, based on his, I guess, actually my metric thinks that Cruz will be a little bit better next season, which is crazy. But my metric does almost indirectly consider age. No, and that, that makes sense. Cause usually Nelson Cruz, I like how you said, well, your metric is better. Well, the thing with Nelson Cruz, I think most of us are like, the guy just doesn't seem to age. He just keeps hitting the ball hard. And that's probably why your metric, you know, average exit velocity, barrels per plate appearance. He gets on base a ton. Like everything that you're looking for outside of sprint speed, he's probably finishing rather well. So you'd imagine that's going to uh, go up the metric pretty well. But more often than not, when a guy gets older, sprint speed kind of deteriorates. Even his maybe exit velocity or his barrels per plate appearance, those might kind of deteriorate a little bit. And you'll kind of see a, a little downward momentum which would make a lot of sense when we're looking at PDRC plus, what are we trying to, I know you you've said it already, but I want to kind of discuss it again here in a little more breakdown. What are we trying to, uh, you know, glean as we're preparing for players like WRC plus, we know the rated runs created plus, you know, the average number is a hundred. You want to be over a hundred, so on and so forth. What are we looking for with PDRC plus? Yeah, so the average is very close to 100. It's not exactly 100, but it's very close. And actually, I want to clarify, I was on the wrong sheet. Cruz actually is, my metric is very high on Cruz, but it does anticipate a little bit of regression. 
Gotcha. And then, so I guess what my metric, at least based on the data set, and it's possible that I overfit my model, which with my walk percentage, one, I made sure I didn't. I'm still really new to this stuff. So when I make any revisions, if I do, I'm going to be really careful with that. But I still feel because my sample size when I created the equation consisted of at least 800 consecutive player seasons, it's possible that I didn't overfit simply because there was so much data. My metric, I mean, it tells you partially of what the player did that season. Like if I read off the top five from this past year, number one was Mike Trout, number two, Christian Yelich, number three, Cody Ballinger, number four, Anthony Rendon, and number five, Mookie Betts. Like those are all guys that had great seasons. But the cool thing with my metric is that it's more predictive, at least in my model, when I looked at for the players that I looked at, of DRC plus, WRC plus, OPS plus, whatever one you look at, the following season than any of those stats are. Okay. So what would we look at? So say you said like Mike Trout had a 169 PDRC plus last year. What would we kind of assume maybe his 2020 prediction would be? Or are we not? Are, is that how we're using it? Or how would we go about using it? Yeah. So, I mean, that is one way you could potentially look at it. Like if you were to try, if someone said, if you can, whoever gets the closest, if you had to predict everyone's, DRC plus the following season, whoever gets the closest in terms of like percentage points wins a million dollars. You'd be better off using my metric than their metric because you're going to be closer. So, I mean, if you had to bet, I mean, Trout, you don't want to bet against Trout. Like he was number one, but, and I think because it's trying to be predictive, it always is going to have some regression. So like you only can get so high with my metric. But I mean, I think if I read off the guys, who had the biggest difference between PDRC plus and DRC plus? My metric anticipates a, not necessarily a breakout, but Dansby Swanson, his PDRC plus was 121 and his DRC plus was 97. So the bigger the difference between, it could be negative or positive, when the, when the difference between PDRC plus and DRC plus widens the gap, like between using which one, mine becomes even better to use. So the chance is that Swanson will record a DRC plus, must, DRC plus, excuse me, much closer to 121 than 97. Gotcha. So that makes a lot of sense. So like you have CJ Cron, your PRDC, your PDRC plus 124, DRC plus 101. Uh, some other interesting names on this list, Jacoby Jones. I know that's a name talked about a lot. Um, he, he had quite the gap. Ian Desmond, Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, Robinson Cano, Low Kane, Kiermaier, JBJ, and Marcelo Zuna. So Ozuna would be one that a lot of people would love to see, you know, all the advanced metrics, no matter which one it seems you look at, and even the hard hit rates and all that barrels, the good stuff. Ozuna is always high on that list and really stands out. So you want to be over 100. That's what you're saying for one thing. So when we look at the kind of opposite end of things, guys that were your PRD, your P, sorry, PDRC plus, is below 100, but their DRC plus was well above 100. We're expecting some some negative regression, is what you're saying. Um, how much are you factoring in? Like, because like you have Pete Alonso, your PDRC plus is 121, his DRC plus was 141. 
that's still probably a pretty good season, but like, do you have anything that factors in maybe how much regression we're expecting, or is that still something we maybe to work on in the future? Yeah. So one variable that I might include, because some of these names, you might look at Nolan Arenado and see like he had his DRC plus was 136 and his PDRC plus was 117. Um, like if you look at projection systems, they're also, also have like projections like WRC plus they're closer to 117 than 136, but same can be said about like Glaber Torres. One variable that I might look to include in the future is there's a, a particular group of batted ball events like Arenado. He has his exit velocity and his barrels. They're unspectacular, but when he does hit the ball really hard, he's hitting it at a launch angle that usually results in home runs. So I might look to include like percentage of batted ball events between launch angles 23 to 34, which is if it's hit hard enough, that's almost always, that's going to be a home run at a pretty high frequency. But I mean, like number one for regression, and I felt this way before even creating my metric, Omar Narvaez, I mean, he hit at a level based on OPS plus, WRC plus, DRC plus, around 20% above the league average. But my metric, his PDRC plus was 91, which is below average. No, that's that's very good because these are names that people are talking about, but some that, that stand out a little bit because, you know, Mitch Garver had a crazy year showing some regression but still 126 isn't bad. And so I, I've had that discussion on my show doing catcher's previews and stuff that I'm not buying into to Garver for where he's going and the expectations of many. I believe he's going to come back a bit. I still like him. And this kind of in a roundabout way goes about that. Um, were there any, I guess, standouts, good or bad, when you went through these? Because there's a, definitely some here in the top tens on both of them. But did anything really stand out to you when you were doing your research? Yeah, so I guess I mean maybe um maybe number one like standout I'd say and I, I think I talked about this on a different podcast. I just think it's amazing how good of a year Howie Kendrick had. Like, I mean, based on WRC plus, he had he hit at a level forty six percent above league average for DRC plus thirty two percent. My metric had his PDRC plus at 135 which was the same as Alex Bregman so I think Kendrick I mean he didn't play like full time and I think he probably saw a fair share of plate appearances against lefties but I think that he deserved to hit at the level he hit at last year nice yeah no Kendrick's one of those guys that everybody seems to finally agree he's just a crazy good hitter just always in a platoon or something that makes it interesting Maybe they get the universal DH. He can he can swing the bat a little more. That would be a lot of fun. Um, what do you think the next step is for you in this metrics? I think it's really, really intriguing. I love all these predictive metrics that people are coming out with, especially when they correlate the way yours does. Yours is shown to um, pretty much fall in line with the with, uh, correlations. And, heck, if you want to look back to 2015, uh, out of the top 10 years since 2015, and Mike Trout's five of the 10 years, I'd say that's probably a pretty accurate reading then. Um, what's what's next for you with PDRC plus? Yeah, so there's a few things. Obviously, like the the launch angle thing that I talked about, twenty three to thirty four degrees. That's something I'm going to look at. Some other things potentially is removing intentional walks from 
like for instance, Mike Michael Franco, I think he maybe was second in the National League in intentional walks. So I'm pretty sure my metric actually thinks he's going to be better this year, the following season than this year. But I'm sure it would be much closer if intentional walks were removed. But you also could argue that managers are going to intentionally walk hitters that they don't want to face. But then you also run into the problem where in the National League, if the pitcher's up next, maybe a guy who's batting eighth is going to receive a lot of intentional walks. So that's another thing. And then, I mean, I'll just explore other variables. But, I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy with it right now. No, it, it's it's awesome. I think it's a really, really fun metric. That's why I, I bookmarked this uh, article a long, long time ago. I, I'm always intrigued by new and creative metrics to help us develop uh, a way to analyze players because there's so much good stuff out there right now that every bit can help and, and differentiate, especially when you're torn on two guys. Every little piece you can kind of glean away from it helps out in a big, big way. So I think this is a, a fun way to go about it, especially when the way you broke down how WRC plus and OPS, as good as they can be, uh, and, and even DRC plus, as good metrics as they can be, there's flaws in those metrics that can lead to maybe some misinterpretation. So I think that's a fun way to use PDRC plus going forward. Um, I saw on Twitter about an hour before we started, a half hour before we started recording, you were talking with Tom Tango about um, some of his defensive metrics he was looking at. You did a quick graph on that. I've talked with a, I forget, I feel horrible for this, who was on my show. He was working on some stuff based on uh, like defensive run saves, one of the new baseball savant metrics out there, what Tom was looking at. Did you find anything just in your preliminary looks that kind of caught your attention? Yeah, so um, here let me try to find it. I actually have it on my computer because there are some there are some interesting names. Like when you guys were tweeting stuff out, I remember when we discussed it on a show. There's it's almost like a team by team. You can tell who plays good defense and who doesn't. But it was really interesting watching you guys discuss a few things. Yeah, so I guess some guys, the guy who like his runs allowed per nine innings was hurt most. Like if you include like the runs that were cost or prevented from like the defense, Jason Vargas. I mean, I don't think anyone should draft him anyway, but <laughs> he had a five or five runs allowed per nine. But if you take away the runs that his defense cost him, it drops down to 4.69. So that's better. And then some other guys on that same like note are Reynaldo Lopez, Steven Matz, Dylan Bundy, and Adrian Hauser. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, and this was the biggest one by far, was Dakota Hudson for the Cardinals. He his he allowed 4.12 runs per nine innings. And if you were to add the runs that his defense prevented, it would jump to 4.79. So that's a 0.67 run difference, which is pretty significant. Yeah, big time. I remember Dakota, that's one reason, A, I want nothing to do with Dakota Hudson. He's, he relies way too much on that defense. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe some other Cardinals were pretty high on that list um, that that benefited quite a bit. And on the flip side, I know you guys are talking about Trevor Bauer. Uh, the Reds had some unluckiness, it seemed like, on their list. I can't, Sonny Gray, I don't think, was too good. And a few others that stood out like, hmm, maybe there's something to this that uh, stands out as a team-by-team thing. So when you're analyzing – maybe for daily or weekly lineup rosters or whatever, you know, going into it, we're facing these pitchers. They maybe 
really solid arms, but their defense behind them so suspect. Let's take advantage of it, stuff along those lines. I'm curious to see what continues to come out of that because I know uh, – or maybe not. Do you have any visions on what you could do with that metric or are you just kind of toying with it for fun right now? Um, I mean, it, maybe it would be kind of useful. I mean, I'm surprised Baseball Savant doesn't do it and maybe Tango Tiger will. But, I mean, it's not that hard to calculate. You would just – you. I mean, runs allowed per nine, that's just – that includes unearned runs, which a lot of people say like earned runs versus unearned runs, like to differentiate between the two is kind of silly because it could be like the reliever comes in and then gives up a bunch of runs or like errors, I guess. There is no objective way to determine what's an error and what's a not an error. So by just adding the like runs earned or, I mean, prevented or cost by the defense, you basically get a runs allowed per nine that's adjusted for defense. Gotcha. No, that'd be fun. I think it'd be a, another interesting way to look at guys and say, did they, I always hate using this word, but I'm going to, I use it all the time. Did they get lucky or not? Did they have the benefit of the doubt on their side uh, throughout the season? It is one way to kind of look at it. And a, a strong defense behind them can get you out of a lot of trouble. So that's always a good thing um, in those situations. So talking about baseball savant, I know you tweet out a lot of fun stuff about barrels and pulled rates and hard hit this and all kinds of cool stuff that I really enjoy. What's your metric of choice just on the baseball savant world? Yeah, so I, I don't know that I have one like favorite metric, but I guess there's some that I tend to lean towards more. I like average exit velocity, but and then this is actually something I might adjust for in my own metric, the PDRC part, and I. I know Tango Tiger has said the site will probably make this change, but right now the current average exit velocity includes bunts. So like someone like Delino DeShields Jr., like at least for maybe, I don't know what season it was, but if you were to remove his bunts, his average exit velocity would climb like five miles per hour. So if you remove bunts, you get a better idea of who's hitting the ball hard. So I like average exit velocity. And then, I think the defensive metrics are interesting, and I, I do like barrels. I mean, I use them in PDRC+, and I think it's a good way to see who's hitting the ball really hard because barrels oftentimes result in home runs. I think maybe it's like around 50%. I don't know for a I fact. Think, I think last I saw was like 57%, give or take. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, And then I guess – like the XWOBA um, estimated weighted on base average. I think that's also an interesting set too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them. And you could do all kinds of different things from them. So it's fun to kind of see where everybody sits on those. The barrels are reported as like the, the most sticky in the bunch. Uh, so it, it's definitely some fun stuff there when breaking them all down. Um, well, you were looking at uh, pulled home runs before, and like guys like Brett Gardner stands out, Didi Gregorius. Do you ever foresee yourself in any of these metrics, maybe factoring in guys that you know they focus on they pulling the ball a tons, like uh, Eddie Rosario's, Max Kepler's of the world? That if maybe for one season the the pull rate or whatever came down a bit, they would awfully obviously struggle in like the home run department. Do you ever look into stuff like that, or does that kind of stuff cross your mind? Because I'm curious. I wouldn't know even where to start on how to calculate that, but I'm curious on how that like regression model could be formed. Yeah. So 
pulled I've experimented with including like percentage of fly balls that are pulled, percentage of bad ball events that are pulled for the PDRC plus and I'm pretty sure that including it could maybe improve the model really, really small amount. I'm gonna continue to play around with it because I mean any way I can make it better is a good thing. Usually, generally speaking, pulling the ball is better because a higher, I think the barrel. Uh, I'm almost. I'm 100% of this. The percentage of fly balls barrels that are pulled, a higher percentage of those ones leave the park than ones hit the opposite way. And also, I feel like even though hitting the ball the opposite way, it is a good thing. And maybe a balanced, like directional hitting, is the best. Where like a guy like JD can hit a ton of home runs to right center, to left center, to left field, to right field. So I mean. It definitely is something that I think it's useful to look and see which guys are pulling the ball the most. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think it's it's a very important thing when you see guys take spikes and power that I'm not saying we're completely out of nowhere, but quite a nice jump. You'll see a lot of it correlates to, you know, more hard hit, like higher, higher, higher hard hit, more barrels, more pulled, things along those natures that that lines up with that. And I, I think it's a good correlation. There's been work done on certain ballparks. Like I'm a Giants fan. In AT&T Park, everyone's, you know, it's true. It's a massive pitcher's park. But uh, right-handed hitters, if you pull the ball to left field, it's not that bad for for powers. And that's why certain guys can can be better than expected if you're right-handed in that yard. They, I've seen the numbers. Like I want to say it was top 10 in baseball for pulled power for, left, uh, for right-handed hitters, which would surprise many people. So I think using – you know, some park factors like that, some detailed park factors with some of those other metrics you were talking about. It could really help you, you break down players. Um, with your site and just what you do in general, these metrics are, are a ton of fun. You do a lot of baseball posting and whatnot. Is your main focus fantasy or is it just because you love baseball, you want to talk baseball? Yeah, so I do love baseball. And I like talking about baseball. And I am a part of two Keeper League teams, but I don't really – do like the ESPN ones the uh, the league I'm actually the leagues I'm actually a part of it's through a site called whatifsports.com and basically the league actually started like 17 years ago but I didn't join until maybe 5 or 6 years ago and when it first started it was basically just a draft of every process they drafted I think it's 50 man rosters you can keep up to 16 prospects, so basically a giant draft. It would be like if the MLB were to say we're restarting, every team gets 50 picks, a 50-round draft. So I took over a team, and you keep the team, and there's a draft every, like, December. So And then the league actually runs during the off season. So right now my fantasy league is going on, and it uses – it's a simulation, basically, kind of like out-of-the-park baseball, but you don't get to manage your team during the game. You just change. It would be like you couldn't manage during – you can't manage during the game, but you can set pitch counts, what pitcher you want pitching. You can determine your lineup, how aggressive you want the base running to be. And, I mean, the season, it's like three games a day, and I'm actually in first place right now, which is I'm happy about that's cool. Yeah, it is. It does sound a lot like OTP. So that's a that's a cool format. I never heard of what if. I have to go check that out. But I like how you 
because unlike OTP, where it's usually you kind of pick a, an overall team system and kind of go from there, you can obviously get rosters and draft rosters and do things. But to have a, a full league like you're talking about, picking 50 team or 50 players and whatnot, that's definitely a different format. I just took part in a – we call it the MLB Remix League on OTP. It's a custom thing they did, and we're still trying to iron it all out. But 30, 30 players, we drafted 50 players each, 30 teams, 50 players – so we remade baseball, basically. Everybody had a roster. I was the Giants, and we started from scratch. So it was a cool little endeavor as we're waiting for baseball to happen. Uh, when real baseball is happening, Max, who is your team? Oh, yeah. So I am a Detroit Tigers fan. Nice. I have always been. I live in Michigan, and, I mean, the Tigers have always been my team. My grandfather, he used to buy season tickets, so I would go to – at least 20 games every year. He stopped now that they're so bad. But, I mean, I went to game game three of the World Series against the Giants, which stunk, but it was fun to go to the World it's Series. Still, yeah, it's cool to go to, just to, just to say you went, trust me, because, yeah, um, it's you never know when you'll get that chance again. So uh, that's cool to go to. Um, who's your favorite Tiger that you've ever watched? Um. I think I used to like Max Scherzer a lot. I still like him, but I mean, now that he's not a Tiger, it's I don't feel the same connection to him. I liked him a lot because his name was Max, and he also happened to be a really good pitcher. I I, I also love Justin Verlander, but he's not a Tiger anymore. I did love JD Martinez. He's not a Tiger anymore. <laughs> I'd say probably my favorite Detroit Tigers player is Miguel Cabrera. He's been there for a while and. I mean, I know you, he had some problems in the past, but it seems like he's past them now. And he he fights through a lot of pain, and I, I like to. I hope he bounces back this year if they have a season. Yeah, no doubt about it. And he was having a good spring. He looked healthy, hitting the ball hard again. Looking forward to seeing what he has in his last few years in the big. Do you think Miguel Cabrera is a Hall of Famer? Like Absolutely. first ballot. First ballot. Yeah, first ballot. I think Cabrera, I mean, he's won, I have the stuff here, 11-time All-Star, two MVP awards. He won the Triple Crown, seven Silver Sluggers. He won four batting titles. He's been in, I think he's been in the World Series twice because I think he was there with Miami. Yeah, he went with the Marlins when he was a, a baby still. Yes, and then obviously 2012. He's going to reach 3,000 hits. He's actually less than 200 away, and he's, I don't know that he's going to hit 600 homers, but he's less than 25 away from 500. So, and there's just like some players, it's kind of like Derek Jeter, where like there was a point in time where everyone, I mean, Trout was the best player in baseball in like 2013, 2012, but, and maybe you could make an argument he deserved to win MVP, but I just remember everyone saying Cabrera was the best hitter in baseball. So there's just like Cabrera, just, I feel like, something about his swing that's always been majestic and he I mean he really should get a hundred percent of the vote yeah no he should he should first ballot for sure you know there's always those stingy voters that want to prove a point and not give everybody a hundred percent Mo Rivera the first ever to get a hundred percent so Miggy's well deserving I, I believe he'll get in on the first ballot we'll see what the percentage is as there's always some um, goofiness involved there Throughout the last few weeks, you've been tweeting out different guys. Are they Hall of Famers? Are they not? And some, I think, are pretty clearly not. But some are interesting. 
just for discussion's sake, and one is Joey Votto, and that's a guy that was a tremendous player for many, many years for the Reds. OBP machine, had power. He did it all. Did it all for Cincinnati. Uh, one of the rare guys that's pretty much just been with one club, doing his thing with the Reds, and he slowed down the last few years. But in your opinion, would Joey Votto be a Hall of Famer? I think so. I think he is a Hall of Famer. I mean, his career OPS plus, not DRC plus or PDRC plus, but his OPS plus is 150, meaning he's hit it at a level. His OPS, when you adjust for league and stadium, 50% above the league average, which I'm pretty sure that ranks like at least in the top 25 all time off the top of my head, like among guys who got at least like 6,000, 7,000 plate appearances. He did win an MVP. And I feel like Vado is one of those players where if we were talking, and this is unfortunate, but if it, if we were like, if this was in the 90s, I don't know that he'd get in because maybe he would have, but like the whole on base percentage thing that I feel like people now they look at on base percentage more and understand it and value it more than batting average. But I mean, his career on base percentage is 421, which is amazing. And you'll hear people say, Oh, he shouldn't be a hall of famer because the counting stats are there. I mean, he's almost at 300 homers. I'm pretty sure he has less than 2000 hits, but a hit, I mean, is slightly better than a single if there's runners on base because a single can advance runners. But if bases are empty, a hit and a, a walk, I mean, that's pretty much the same thing. And you can almost make an argument a walk is better because that means if it wasn't unintentional, it means the pitcher threw at least four, probably more than four pitches. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I'm curious to see how that adaption keeps coming because for years – there was always a staple like 3000 hits or 500 homers or, you know, pitchers had to have 300 wins. We're starting to see that kind of change because the era of baseball is changing. So I, I think a lot of the traditionalists will point to, to Votto's overall homers and, and hits like you're saying, but if they look at the actual player that he was, I think they got to factor that in a little bit more. He was a, a beast. He was a heck of a ball player, huge for his team. I agree with the on base percentage. Um, I feel like he should be in the Hall of Fame. We'll see. I, I really do think he should be there. He's going to be close, but he could be quite interesting. Uh, another guy you mentioned, and this is a guy that I know very well, is Dustin Pedroia. And I was curious, what's your thoughts on Pedroia? Because this is a very tough one for me. Yeah, so Pedroia, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a player that a bunch of people liked. And, I mean, as a Tigers fan, I don't know that he killed the Tigers in the 2013 ALCS, but I kind of feel like he hit at least one or two homers over the Green Monster. So I don't really like Pedroia much. But objectively speaking, I just, I mean, his OPS plus, we said Vados was 150, and Pedroia was a second baseman. So, I mean, the offensive bar for second base is lower than a first baseman, but his was only 113, which that's not. I, a hitter that hit at a level 13% above league average, unless they were a gold glove, perennial gold glove winner, I just, you can't put that type of player in the Hall of Fame, I don't think, because, I mean, there's so many guys with a higher career OPS plus. And then his wins above replacement, like baseball reference, I think he's just over 50. The average second baseman, and I'm sure the median is slightly lower because, there are some second basemen that, I mean, like Joe Morgan, I think he was a second baseman, 
that had over 100 wins for a replacement. So it probably skews it a little bit. The average second baseman has almost 70 wins above replacement. So, and then his peak wasn't the greatest. Yeah, it's going to be tough on him because, you know, he came in, won rookie of the year, won an MVP award, won a couple rings in Boston. It's it's a really interesting one. He was very, very good. He might fall in the category of the Hall of Very Good, just not Hall of Fame. It, it's tricky because I've always been a believer that guys like, uh, if you're talking second base position, you mentioned Joe Morgan. Uh, Biggio's been in recently. Uh, Roberto Alomar's been in. I've always thought guys like um, Jeff Kent, if we're going to start playing certain angles, he was very, very good at second base. Not sure he was all the way that good, uh, but he deserves a little more argument, I think. So it's 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 interesting. I can see the arguments for people saying they can be in or they're not. They're really on the border. Guys that might uh, either – I think those are the kind of guys that get in on those special uh, ballots like 12 years from now when they're mm-hmm. when in the uh, the committees vote on it. I, I think those are the guys that get in on those kind of ballots. So we'll see on that. I know another guy you had, and I didn't put him on the sheet here, but uh, just for fun, we talked about Nelson Cruz earlier. He's an interesting one because obviously the power is insane. They're starting to embrace the DH more and more in the Hall of Fame. We've seen Edgar, Big Poppy. I don't see why he wouldn't. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. But I think Nelson Cruz is interesting Minus the argument that many will have about the steroids. So what's your take on Nelson Cruz potentially being a Hall of Famer? Yeah, so I think the problem with Cruz, other than what you said about the steroids, which that's that's already a knock, a pretty big one. Because, I mean, look at Barry Bonds. I mean, Yeah, if Bonds, Bonds can't get in, that's what's your thoughts on the Hall of Fame and steroids? Do you think Bonds should be in? I think Bonds should be in. I mean... I think he would have been a Hall of Famer had he not used steroids. Like, Bonds, I mean, based on his numbers, like, if you had to pick a player to hit when the bases are loaded, and there's no such thing as clutch, really, in my opinion, you'd pick Bonds. Like, I mean, his wins of replacement, I think, is at least, like, over 150. So many homers. Like, I think he might be the best hitter of all time, really. I can't argue that. His numbers are insane. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm big Bond supporter here. I, I think he should be in a long time ago, and I'm getting really frustrated that I don't know. I, I I think he gets in here in the next year or so, but he's running out of time, so it's getting really scary. Um, so you, you're you're a no on Cruz, huh? Yeah, Cruz. Uh, for me, I would definitely vote no. Again, I'm biased because I'm a Tigers fan, and I mean, I was like young when the Tigers were playing the Rangers in the ALCS, and I I was at maybe game five or there was one game that was in Detroit that went to extra innings and he had a go ahead homer. And there was another game where he had a walk off grand slam. Like Nelson Cruz was the player I hated most as a kid. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I still don't like him. Yeah. It's funny how that, that happens with the teams we root for. And we always remember those certain players that just have their number. Um, I, I respect Nolan Arenado as a player, but he owns the giants. It's just one thing he does. He owns them. Doesn't matter who it is. It's uh, it's fun like that. But um, as we get ready to wrap things up on tonight's episode, Max, what's next for Max Goldstein? What's next for your website? Like what uh, what kind of ideas or projects do you plan on working on, or do you want to work on? What do you have uh, brewing up there in that head of yours? Yeah, so I think a lot like kind of like the un- unintentional walk percentage plus that I meant that we talked about in the beginning. Doing something like that for 
like strikeout rate for pitchers and then doing the same things for hitters, those types of stats maybe. And then if I decide to update like the PDRC plus, I have a PERA minus, which is kind of like PDRC plus, but for pitchers, but it's scaled to like ER adjusted ERA. That's that's it's pretty good. Like it's more predictive than like any of like this. It's only slightly more predictive than Sierra, which is the most predictive of those like of F, like field and independent pitching XFIP. Of all those stats, Sierra is the most predictive of future performance. Even though it's it's it was created to be like descriptive, meaning guys that got unlucky or lucky, but. My stat is also a little bit closer to ERA minus during the seasons than Sierra, so I was happy with that stat. But kind of, but I feel like maybe including like the unintentional walk rate plus instead of walk rate, maybe that'll improve it. So I'm gonna wait to adjust those things. That'll be fun because I, I I've had some discussions recently with people about Sierra xFIP FIP uh, xERA. There's a bunch of them, D-E-R-A, a bunch of interesting ones out there. So it'd be fun to have some more analysis on that because um, the, there's a ton of hitting metrics out there. And the pitching ones are around, but they don't seem to be as frequent, I guess, is the way I'd look at it as the hitting metrics. So some more um, pitching tools would be really, really cool. I would look forward to seeing that. I look forward to chatting with you again sometime, Max. It's been a pleasure, and I, I appreciate you joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. No problem, everybody. Go check out Max on Twitter at Max Sports Studio. And until next time, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 284. Catch you guys later.